everyone, welcome to episode 71 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, we've got a special interview again uh, with some other team members from the Ubuntu security team. This week, we're going to have a chat about Ubuntu's participation in uh, ZDI's uh, Pwn to Own competition recently. And so we had a chat to Steve Beatty and Mark Delorio from the team about that. Uh, Joe had a good chat with them uh, to kind of get a bit more of an idea of what our participation in that was like, uh, kind of how it went, and a bit more of an inside view, I suppose, as to what's involved when uh, a company does kind of you know, participate in these sorts of things where they're being putting themselves up for for a challenge, really, to get hacked and then to, uh, to go and patch it afterwards and things. Yeah, so that's coming up a bit later. But first, we'll do our usual weekly roundup of vulnerabilities that have been fixed in the supported Ubuntu releases this last week. Uh, so first up, we had a Linux kernel update that was released just before I published uh, last week's podcast that didn't get covered. Uh, so this was an update for the kernel in Bionic, uh, but that is used for cloud images in Bionic. So this is based on uh, the upstream 5.0 kernel. So it's not the one that would be used if you just did a regular install of Ubuntu uh, Bionic 18.04 long-term support you know, on a server. But if you are spinning up a cloud image, uh, you are likely running this kernel instead. Uh, and this includes a fix for a couple of different issues that I mentioned back in last week episode episode 70 uh, for kind of the regular bionic updates which was a use after free in the virtual file system uh, subsystem in the linux kernel plus a memory leak in ipmi handling as well Uh, so they were fixed as i say for that kernel in bionic then we had an update for libibity which uh, is kind of a low-level library of subroutines published by the GNU project that is then used by other parts of the GNU project. Things like uh, binutils uses this. uh, So when it's parsing elf headers and things like that of binaries, um, it uses various functions here. And so this was for 14 different CVEs that were fixed uh, for Libibity in both Xenial and Bionic. Uh, A lot of these were low priority issues. Uh, There was only really one medium priority. So there were 13 low priority issues there that were fixed in one medium one, uh, which was that uh, there was an integer overflow that could lead to a heap-based buffer overflow if you were passing a crafted ELF file. And the rest of the low priority ones were things like uh, denial of service issues due to things like memory leaks or null pointer references uh, that were then exposed by utilities like objdump and things like that. So uh, low priority because generally, you know, you're just running that thing once. And so if you run it and it you know, allocates too much memory and crashes, it's not the end of the world. It's not a long running service or something like that. But yeah, they were also fixed as well. So if you are um, trying to parse untrusted binary formats, hopefully things are a little safer for you now. Then we had an update for libssh in Bionic and Ewan. Uh, one CVE here that was fixed. Uh, in this case, it was in handling of uh, AES in counter mode. So uh, if you had a client, a malicious client or a server, it could cause a, a crash of the other end uh, if it was using um, AES in counter mode. So uh, this would happen when it would go and close the connection. It would then go to clean up uh, the cipher context and uh, would access this invalid memory. So you'd usually get a crash uh, from this, but potentially other kinds of effects might be possible as well. But that was fixed for libssh. So if you are running any uh, SSH servers that are based on libssh, uh, that is OpenSSH is not, but uh, perhaps some other ones are, uh, that is also now fixed for you. Then we had an update uh, for the kernel, but this was a live patch. So the live patch team released uh, an update for the kernels in Xenial and Bionic. That means that if you are running uh, Ubuntu 1604 or 1804 long-term support with live patch enabled, you would have got these fixes automatically 
without even rebooting. So this included uh, the virtual file system used after free that I mentioned at the start of this episode, plus a fix for a possible Spectre V1 or um, L1TF, uh, level one terminal fault gadget that got introduced way back in 2013 for another CVE fix. And there was also a fix for uh, KVM uh, TLB flushing issue that I mentioned back in episode 67. So yeah, you would have got those all fixed via a live patch if you are running live patch on one of those kernels. A couple more to go through. We had an update for Thunderbird. This was updating to the latest version of Thunderbird 68.7.0 in both a Bionic and Ewan. In this case, there were 18 different CVEs that uh, Mozilla had fixed in this update. Uh, there was a few different high priority ones, a bunch of mediums and a couple low. Uh, in this case, these were generally all previously covered in previous Firefox updates because uh, Mozilla is based on the Firefox code base. So they share a lot of the same code, but also a lot of the same vulnerabilities. But yeah, if you are uh, you know, handling untrusted emails, which I guess is everyone, <laughs> then you are a bit safer now with this Thunderbird update if you are running Thunderbird. And finally, there was an update for Git in Xenial, Bionic and Eowyn. In this case, uh, it would not properly handle URLs that included new lines, and in doing so, it might send your credentials to the wrong host as a result. So it would get confused, I guess, about uh, which host you were authenticating to and then which host the credentials should go to, and that would maybe get sent to the wrong one. So really, this is more of a, I guess, a privacy leak than anything, uh, because you're not necessarily sending, say, private key material or anything like that to the host. But uh, yeah, this was fixed by essentially just forbidding a new line in any part of the credential handling uh, code in Git. And so that makes you a little bit safer if you are cloning untrusted uh, repository URLs in Git. Okay, that takes us to the end of this week's roundup of security fixes. Uh, Up next, as I said at the start of the episode, uh, Joe had a chat with a couple other members of the Ubuntu security team, Steve Beattie and Mark Delorier about our recent involvement in ZDI's Pwn to Own competition, about kind of how that process went and how we were involved and yeah, kind of what came out of it as well. Hey everybody, on this week's uh, Ubuntu Security Podcast, we have two special guests. We've got Steve Beatty and Mark Delorier from the Ubuntu Security team. Um, and they recently participated in ZDI's Pwn to Own event. And I thought it'd be interesting to hear how we participated, how the event um, occurred, and how we were able to um, fix a vulnerability, uh, not only in Ubuntu, but in every Linux distro and help uh, the whole community. So, um, hey, Steve. Hey, Mark. Hi. Hey, hey Joe. Um, this is very interesting. We've never done a podcast with three people, except in person one time in, in Vancouver with, with Jamie. No, maybe that was Toronto. But anyhow, let's see how this works. So excuse our audio problems if we have any. Um, so first, how did we get involved with this? I think they reached out to us, right, Steve? Yeah, they sent us an email, I want to say in January or something like that, um, uh, inviting us to be one of the vendor participants for Pwn to Own. Um, I think uh, in years past, they had they might have asked us once before to participate. Um, Pwn to Own has gone on for many years, uh, and at various points, they've included Ubuntu as one of the target platforms. And so they, uh, and so I guess this year they decided they wanted to have us be a part of it and um, remember to invite us. Yeah, and what I think is really cool is that yeah it. 
you know, you use the word target. I think that's the, I think you use the word target, but yeah, we are a target in that. But the really cool thing is the idea isn't point out how you've done something bad in Ubuntu. It's, hey, let's find something that's wrong with this, where there's a vulnerability, let's fix it for everybody, which I think right. is a really cool thing about it. Right. I mean, it's some of the, some of the, in years past, some of the targets that they've had have been like rather complex. It's like, you know, if you can convince somebody to click a URL in a web browser running in a VM, can you go from that URL to getting out of the browser to getting out of the VM and into the host OS, right? So they, it's, um, and they've recently started targeting, I think like they did, they offered Teslas as like one of the platforms that you could try to uh, uh, demonstrate vulnerabilities on. To be clear, if anyone wants to give me a Tesla to try to hack, <laughs> I am more than willing to accept it. Um, so so uh, two folks from our team were going to go to the event, um, and that was Mark on this call and Mike from our team as well. Um, but obviously, things have changed in the world, and um, the event was switched to a, um, a video-only event. Um, so, Mark, Mark how, lo how long was the sort of hacking session? Um, so it was a video call with a few people from uh, Pontuon and the security researcher himself. Um, it was probably, I don't know, a few minutes to show us what the uh, attack looked like, a demonstration he shared. He did a screen share and, and showed us his proof of concept running and, and managed to gain root access in, in, in a few clicks. Um, and then we had um, a half hour to... Uh, look at the exploit that he wrote and to figure out if it was a known issue or not. Uh, because maybe it's, you know, something that we still hadn't fixed but was on our list to fix, or maybe it was a known issue um, that 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 uh, people knew about but hadn't gotten around to, to patch yet. Um, so we... Um, we looked through the uh, the kernel source that was used in the version of Ubuntu he was using. Then we looked at the more recent kernel source and tried to figure out whether that particular section of code had changed since. Because you know we every release of Ubuntu has it has a, a particular kernel version, so maybe a newer version or or more recent kernel uh, that particular flaw got fixed without necessarily uh, marking it as a security fix, um, and that didn't seem to be the case. We had, uh, they gave us a half hour to, to look through that and to uh, uh, determine whether it was a known issue or not. Um, and that's what we did. We looked at the more recent kernel versions. We couldn't find anything that looked particularly relevant to the attack that, um, that, that was done. And so we uh, decided that it was not a known issue and we uh, informed them and they were uh, uh, glad to tell the researcher that, in fact, it wasn't the known issue. Um, researcher's name was Manfred Paul. Or is oh, cool. Manfred Paul. Yeah. The other thing we did was we also looked through our our uh, uh, vulnerability tracker that we keep internally um, to see if you know if there was any known issues that affected the the um, subsystem of the kernel. In this case, the uh, Berkeley packet packet filter subsystem um, and we looked there and yeah it, there it, it had not already been identified as a vulnerability so actually that's an important thing you just mentioned we looked in our internal tracker because for folks who maybe aren't familiar 
before we go, so you verified this, right? So the next step after verifying is to coordinate with the greater Linux community because this wasn't just um, specific to Ubuntu. This was actually a, a, a general problem with this version, of the, well, actually with all Linux kernels at that point, right? So um, not all? Not all. Um, it's the, uh, actually, it's, uh, there's a bunch of interesting bits there. So, um, so initially, uh, so we were able to reproduce it on our 5.3 kernels. Um, and then, and we were able to reproduce, which is in our 1910 release. And we were able to reproduce it in an uh, an older version of the 5.4 kernel that is shipping that was included in our uh, 2004 release that is you know still under development hasn't actually been released yet. But then a newer version of that, the vulnerability didn't actually work. So actually, the, we, did, the, did the exploit not work, or but was the vulnerability still there? Yeah, that was the thing. So one of the things we had to look at was what was the exploit trying to do? And was it a situation of like the exploit no longer worked? So had it been fixed in the 5.4 kernel? When we looked at it, it was still able to... So the Berkeley packet filter, what it lets you do is it lets you load basically assembly instructions into kernel space uh, to query information and, and report information and, and do diagnostic things. So what the vulnerability did is it loaded some Berkeley packet a Berkeley packet filter program into the kernel and it tried to identify various structures in the kernel uh, and the, to find out where in the locations that it would then use the vulnerability. So it used the vulnerability to report information on the kernel, on kernel locations, as well as find locations that it could write to, to, to actually uh, give itself root access. Um, what it ended up doing uh, when it failed was it was looking through kernel space and find and trying to find identify those the the locations that it could overwrite but it wasn't able to find them probably because certain things in the layout had changed with the uh, with the newer version but it was still able to use the 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 root vulnerability the root cause of the vulnerability to actually try to search through memory to find those structures so you know looking at it that way, yeah, the five point four kernel was still vulnerable to it. Yeah, this is part of the you know the work we had to do within that half hour period was to figure out if the exploit didn't work because something got fixed, or did the exploit just didn't work because it needed a slight little adjustment to work on a different kernel than the one that it was developed on. Right, and so based on our investigation, we believed it was the latter that it that it just needed more work, and that would would have continued to work on on our five point four kernel. Very cool. Okay, so now you've confirmed it. You looked in our internal tracker because there are there are embargoed issues. So before, so you're going to reach out to the community and uh, through encrypted communications and say, hey, there's this vulnerability that needs to be fixed. Let's set a coordinated release date, etc. Um, that's why we looked in our internal docs because or internal tracker to make sure it wasn't already identified. So right. um, we actually did a step before that. So one of the things we wanted to make sure was that it wasn't an actual Ubuntu specific vulnerability. Um, and this gets into kind of the interesting chain of how it got into our 5.3 kernel. Uh, so um, John Johansson, who is another uh, Ubuntu security engineer who was also involved in the, in, in uh, uh, participated in the Pondo and call, um, he, you know, we reproduced it on the Ubuntu 5.3 kernel. He went and took the stable upstream 5.3 kernel and was not able to reproduce it. And in fact, it was rejecting the BPF program that was being injected. 
So initially we were concerned that it was, you know, potentially an Ubuntu specific vulnerability, something that we had added to the kernel that made it vulnerable to this vulnerability. Um, he ended up bisecting the specific commit that, that introduced the vulnerability. And it turned out that vulnerability had been added in the 5.5 upstream kernel development cycle. So it was introduced in the 5.5 kernel essentially. Now, when the upstream BPF developers added that commit, they were like, we're trying to, we're trying to improve, improve the um, BPF verifier for uh, the specific set of BPF operations. And so they didn't tag it as something that should be backported to the stable kernels. However, there's another group out there that is using machine learning to identify commits to the stable trunk or to the, to the, to the development uh, trunk of the Linux kernel and submitting those to stable kernels to be backported. So that machine learning process identified this specific commit and said, hey, you should bring that back to the 5.4 kernel. So it got submitted to the 5.4 kernel. Now, our 5.3 kernel that we maintain for Ubuntu 19.10 and as the hardware enablement kernel for 18.04, the upstream stable 5.3 kernel is no longer supported by Greg Cohartman and other people. Um, so what our kernel developers do is they're tracking what goes into the stable 5.4 upstream. And since this commit went in there, they pulled it back to our 5.3 kernel. So that's how, even though like the upstream 5.3 kernel was not vulnerable to it, we ended up being vulnerable to it. So, and then with the hardware enablement kernels, where we bring back the, the 1910 kernel, the 1804, you end up having an operating system release that was released, you know, 18 months before the vulnerability was introduced was actually vulnerable to it. Interesting, but it still existed in 5.5 and up. So there were- Yeah, it, it, it was, it was uh, yeah, the 5.5 release and the 5.4 stable upstream release mm -hmm. was vulnerable to it after a certain point, after that commit that introduced it was pulled back to that, to that branch. Very cool. So, okay. So now we've, you've, you, you've confirmed everything. Um, so, uh, then you coordinate with, um, with, is it OSS dash security? I can't remember the name of the, the list. There's well, so <laughs> reporting issues, uh, around the kernel, the Linux kernel is kind of an interesting minefield to navigate as well, because if you report to the security at kernel.org, they have a strict seven day embargo period. They won't, they won't allow embargoes longer than seven days. However, subsystems within the Linux kernel, specifically the networking subsystem, they don't want to work with embargoed issues at all. So like if they propose a patch, they send it out to a public mailing list. And so you essentially have no embargo. They're all zero days. <laughs> yeah, they're all zero days. Um, there's, a distros list that um, the various uh, Linux distros coordinate. And that specific list has a two week embargo limit. Um, but we reached out to a couple of kernel developers that we have a good relationship. One that um, uh, uh, Case Cook and Jan Horn. Um, Jan has done a bunch of work on fixing verifier uh, BPF vulnerabilities. Um, and so he actually proposed a fix. And then we went to the BPF upstream maintainers to get them to sign off on that fix before we then brought it to the shared distros list where all the different Linux distros that 
that are a part of that can share in, in uh, uh, identifying the fix and, and bringing it to their users. So certain fixes are, are relatively obvious, right? You, you see what the, the security issue is and you we can develop a fix and we can submit that fix and and then and, and try and get it in. Uh, in this particular case, the, the eBPF is something that's very complex and we definitely wanted to involve people who had very intimate knowledge of, of its inner workings to, to figure out what the best course of action here is. Yeah, cool. absolutely. So, okay, so now we've gotten to this point. Um, you've, it's been... It's been um, discovered, uh, verified, fixed, and coordinated, and now it's going to be released. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we were the first um, company to produce a, a fix from something that was discovered in, uh, in Pwntone, right? Yeah, I believe that's the case. Um, you know, some distros didn't have to fix it because they didn't have a supported release that had like a 5.4 or newer mm -hmm. kernel, right? So, um so some of those, but some of the other issues highlighted at, at Ponda Own, I do not believe have been, I believe we were the first vendor to come out with a fix and first community to come out with a fix. And the reason I bring this up isn't this, you know, try to, as the kids would say, throw shade on somebody. But um, I think it's just, I just want to sort of highlight that we are, you know, we Ubuntu, Canonical, we're part of this community. So when an event like this happens, we'd love to be involved. Um, we love the fact that um, this was, uh, that, that man from Paul found this and um, and uh, or participated in the event, and that we were able to fix it and make you know everybody in the community safer. So um, I mean, it's really it's really apparent that that open source is a community and it takes the community to keep it secure. But I mean, it's my belief, and I think everyone <laughs> everyone on this podcast belief that because of the open source um, aspect of of Linux, it it makes for a more secure um, operating system because you've gotten more eyes on it. You've got, instead of a, you might have seen recently, there were some companies that, um, that have been, uh, that have been reacting badly for uh, InfoSec researchers and they're holding things embargoed for years at a time. And they're, you know, trying to silence their, their critics. You know, that's not, um, that's not, that's not what open source is about. Being part of it means it is open source. You have to fix it in a timely manner, and it does help everybody in the community, not just one vendor. Right? Yeah, that's that. Almost everybody I've talked to in the open source community, is particularly the open source security community, is really interested ultimately in trying to protect everybody's end users, not just Ubuntu's users or Red Hat's users or you know Debian's users, whatever. But we all want what's good for all users of of Linux. Yeah, and, and I mean, all the security teams of all the different distros, we, we all talk with each other and we discuss stuff and we, we exchange information and we, I mean, we're we're outside of the uh, politics and the marketing and anything else. We're, yeah. uh, yeah. We, we want to make sure our users are secure. Yeah, we are pure engineers who happen to love security, <laughs> you know, uh, which I think is cool. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, so I just wanted to say thanks again, uh, Mark and Steve for being involved with that. Thanks to the folks at uh, the ZDI or the Zero Day Initiative for including us. And hopefully we'll be back at next year's Pwn to Own. Um, thanks for being on the call, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. And thanks again in particular to Steve and Mark for that. Uh, great having you guys on the podcast this week and giving me another week off. All right. Uh, so that's it for this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com. Or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on irc.freenode.net 
We also have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you want kind of a more um, asynchronous chat experience. And finally, we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks again, everyone, for listening for another week. It's been great doing this all again for you. Until next week, remember, stay inside, stay safe, stay calm, uh, because we've got your back, and I'll speak to you again soon. All right, bye.